This is Brain Diet, episode 189, how to intelligently use media to dictate your health and lifestyle choices. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. We are talking all about media today, social media, and how to intelligently use it to influence and dictate your health and lifestyle choices. Now, social media is a beautiful thing in that it's free, it's accessible, and we have access to an abundance of information. But of course, what can come with that is an abundance of misinformation. And so I wanted to speak today to how to navigate that in a way that allows you to empower yourself to have a comprehensive toolkit for how to care for your body and not be dragging along some of the things that might weigh you down that might in fact be false information. We might not realize how much we are being influenced. And I think it's because it has just been sneaky over the last two decades. I mean, really the last decade, how social media has grown and changed and how it's become a friend of ours, how we have our phone that is accessible and that is convenient. And then we can constantly be consulting this resource, if you will, whether or not it's actually resourceful remains to be seen. But the way that we consult it at all times and are constantly having messages thrown our way. And I think that it can be even more influential because we're more trusting on social media than we are with modern media, with news outlets. And that's not to say we aren't with those other things, but there is something that's very unique about social media that we feel like the people we follow or the people we're interacting with, even if we don't know them on a personal level, we are more likely to trust them. We are more trusting when we are interacting with these people because we think they're more human and we think that they have our best interest at heart. And many do, and oftentimes, people online really do. But it's important to recognize that on social media, our guard is a little bit more down and we perhaps aren't as selective with the messaging we are allowing our brain to be exposed to at such high volumes throughout the day. If you consider as well how much media people have consumed over the last 50 years and how now it is oftentimes constant throughout a day, whereas you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was so much less. It was certain news cycles, certain news times that you would watch or you might not watch, but it was so much less accessible and less personal. And so now we have constant messaging coming our way and whether or not we like it, we are being influenced. Social media especially is constantly moving us in a direction. It is moving us toward action or it is moving us towards certain beliefs. It is moving us towards certain emotions. It's very hard to consume social media and not be changed by it. Now, again, this doesn't have to be a bad thing, but how can we navigate it in a way that is empowering, that allows us to decide on purpose what messaging we want to keep and what we might not want to allow as a part of our day, as a part of our life. And I think additionally, what 
can be difficult is many of those influencing us, many of those that are speaking to us that we follow on social media claim to be experts. And if these people have a lot of followers, then we by default assume that there is legitimacy to what they're saying. If they have 10,000, 100,000, a million followers, their credibility, even if it's on a subconscious level, we oftentimes think, oh, if they have that many followers, then what they're saying must be legitimate. It must be true. So as we begin this conversation of how to intelligently use media, the one thing to keep in mind as you navigate through accounts and through messaging is that number of followers doesn't does not indicate how much someone actually knows and nor does it indicate that it is more correct or more reliable or more valid so followers does not equate to legitimacy or intellect necessarily and so if there's someone that you follow that is making a lot of really drastic claims about health in general even if they have a really significant amount of people following them, do not let that sway you into assuming without questioning that what they're saying is true because many times it's not the case. And oftentimes it's actually the opposite in that the people with the most followers are sometimes the ones making the most bogus claims. Now, again, that is such a general statement, but the reason for this is because some of the drastic statements that people make online the shock and awe of it draws people. If people are talking about health online in a more mundane way, which is more truly what health is, is a lot of mundane behaviors, it's not going to get as much of attention. And so if you have someone that's saying some really significantly extreme things or making some really bold claims, then it's going to draw people. That shock and awe is going to draw people. And so Keep in mind that just because someone has a lot of followers, it doesn't necessarily indicate that they know what they're talking about. And in fact, it might say the opposite. Now, again, this is just a general statement about social media. There are a great many people with a significant amount of followers that are brilliant. And I have spent a lot of time figuring out who speaks to me and who I feel like is a representation of really good information. But I have definitely gone down rabbit holes of different people making some very extreme claims that it turns out just aren't really legitimate, but it's easy to be drawn in by those things. But let's talk about what I see happen online that can often get in the way of finding useful and helpful and accurate information as it comes to, as it relates to health, weight, exercise, fitness, etc, etc. Generally speaking, media takes a reductionist approach to health and weight in the name of getting your attention. If there is something very specific that is very bold, it's much more attention getting than some of the general lifestyle principles that make a difference in our health, in our weight, in our overall well-being. And so media likes to reduce health and weight to singular things. It's more shocking this way. For example, I saw one recently, and this was what was so interesting is as I was putting together the notes for this episode, the examples were abundant to to 
prove my point here. That is just so interesting to see the things that we are drawn to and the things that we click on. And it makes sense. We are curious creatures and I'll explain more why these things are enticing to us. But it is just a dime a dozen. These things that that media will hyper focus on as if it is the end all be all and it certainly is not. And so when they are taking singular things, it is more shocking. So for example, here was one that I saw just a couple of days ago. It was something along the lines of people that live in Asia live longer than those in the United States of America because of this one food. So they are attributing the health and longevity of an entire race of an entire region of the world to a single food. Now, of course, logically, I would hope we would be able to see health and longevity does not come down to one single food ever. It's not like we only eat one food. We likely are going to be eating many foods and doing many different activities throughout the day and living very unique and dynamic and and complex lives. But a title like that, because of this one food, this entire region of the world lives longer than those where you're currently living, right? Or in the United States of America, I am. And that's enticing. People might see that and think, oh my goodness, what is it? And maybe that is the secret sauce to health is this one singular food. I think it's also interesting to consider that one of the reasons media might reduce health and weight to single things is sometimes there's less responsibility involved when health can be attributed to one single thing. So another one that I saw recently was something along the lines of like the healthiest food in the world has been discovered. And it was some type of, was it watercress? I think is what it was. And it maybe it wasn't discovered, but like identified. The healthiest food in the world has been identified. But what happens is when you have a food, if it, I think it was watercress, if you have something like that, yes, it might be particularly nutrient dense in certain micronutrients, but bodies need a wide variety of macro and micronutrients. And so there's not going to be one single food that is going to be the healthiest or necessarily the most nutrient dense because we need a wide variety of nutrients. And even if a food has like, you know, 100% of the daily value of vitamin C that we should be consuming, that neglects the idea that we are also eating other foods throughout the day. And so even if it has high micronutrients, which are amazing and beneficial and we need them in our body, but that's not all we're eating. That's not all we're doing in the day. That's not the entire picture of our life. And so when we can reduce health to singular things like this, sometimes we can take this and say, okay, so if I just eat this one food, I don't have to pay attention to anything else. I don't have to pay attention to what I eat the other 85% of the day. I don't have to pay attention to sleep hygiene. I don't have to put my phone down at night. I can just keep scrolling because it feels really good. I can skip exercising because I ate this healthiest food in the world. And again, health, body composition, longevity, overall well-being is never going to be accomplished by a single food. There are so many different elements that contribute to how a person feels, performs, to a person's body composition. And yet, 
we might look at a title like that and it's easy. It makes perfect sense because I felt this way before where I'm like, oh, good. I can I can stop paying attention to other things because I can just cover all my bases with this one habit, with this one food. Now, of course, that isn't true, but it feels good to think that maybe we don't have as much responsibility as we actually do because the truth is we don't have natural inclinations to want to work hard, to want to pay attention, right? In order for us to survive, we want to not work. We want to conserve energy. We want to take the path of least resistance. And so that can be the case with these titles and these clickbait phrases is it's playing to that part of us that is survivalistic. And that's okay. It makes perfect sense why we don't want to take responsibility for the other more difficult elements of health. There's nothing wrong with us that we feel that way, but it is important for us to recognize that if we are attributing our health to singular foods or a single exercise or a single habit, we are missing the majority of the picture of what contributes to overall health. Your health and your weight, they are just not the result of single things. Now, again, if you find a food that is particularly nutrient dense, incredible, use it. That's amazing. And make sure you're covering your other bases in addition to that. And that kind of brings me to some tips to share for how to sift through some of this information that you might be getting about health through social media. Pass if it focuses on single elements, if it focuses on single foods, if it says something like this is the healthiest food in the world, pass on it if it focuses on single habits. I remember once, this was years ago, there was a person in my neighborhood who I think I was going on a run and they stopped me and said, you know, I just read an article that said, if you just ran three miles a day and didn't watch what you ate at all, you would lose weight. And I was young at the time. And I just remember being like, Oh, is that is that the secret? Is that true that the secret to health, the secret to losing weight has nothing to do with what you eat, but everything to do with just running three miles a day. Of course, that isn't true. Running three miles a day can contribute to weight loss if it contributes to an overall calorie deficit, but what you eat matters. But as a young person, I remember hearing this. And even at the time I was kind of like, sounds a little reductionist, but I'll take it with a grain of salt. There's still an element that's like, well, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe this is the secret to health. And that was an unfortunate idea for me at the time. It made me sad to think that, oh, that's, that's it. You have to do this or else you'll never be able to lose weight. And so when you pass on these single element approaches that people might take or focusing on single ingredients or focusing on single uh, simplified habits, when you can take a step back and focus more on the comprehensive approach on everything you are doing throughout the day and night for your health, there is room for so much more leeway. There is room for for balance and for off days where you're not feeling your best, you're not, you know, on top of your game. When we can take a more comprehensive approach, then it's not so black and white and it's not so moral. We're able to have some breathing room when it comes to our health in order to say, hey, I don't have to be perfect with anything in order to feel my best. I just have to make sure I prioritize a lot of the big things and do my best where possible. So pass if it focuses on single elements and maybe say yes to things that acknowledge there are many different elements that contribute to overall health. There are so many different factors of things that influence how you feel every day and how you function. So I'll give you another example. 
generally speaking, fiber is important for gut health. This is a nutritional principle that's widely accepted that it is uh, valuable in maintaining uh, good gut health and good gut bacteria in order to have a happy digestive system that can absorb nutrients properly and function properly. And the general recommendation for fiber consumption for people is going to be roughly 14 grams per 1,000 calories. Now, I don't like to have people doing too much math and thinking about it too much. And so usually what I recommend is for women to aim for about 25 grams per day. And this is a great starting point. And if you have participated in my 21 day challenge, the eat better, feel better, how to kickstart your autoimmune nutrition, where fiber is an important part of that, I recommend 25 grams per woman. Now there are going to be individual differences, but 25 grams is usually a good starting point. So generally we know that this is true. We know that fiber is valuable and helpful and important for our overall health. But something that I've seen recently that we're being sold are these quote unquote fiber gut health drinks or like prebiotic. So fiber is a source of prebiotics, right? And prebiotics feed the probiotics in our gut. So fiber is like food for the good bacteria in our gut. And so I've seen these prebiotic gut health drinks. And what's interesting to me is the actual amount of fiber or prebiotics in these drinks is going to be less than like an apple or an avocado. And these fruits, for example, they're going to have a similar amount, maybe even a little more, maybe a little less, but but roughly the same, maybe a little more of prebiotics and fiber value. And they have many, many more micronutrients and cost a quarter of the price than you're paying for a can of this drink. And the marketing, it's, it's commendable how good they are at marketing and the audience that they know they're playing to because it, these types of drinks are really exploding and, and, and increasing in popularity these days. But you take a drink like that and people drink them saying, this is good for my gut, but what does the rest of your diet look like? What does the rest of your day look like? What is, what is every other bite you're taking throughout each day looking like? Because every other bite is going to have infinitely more influence on your health, on your gut than these probiotic or prebiotic drinks. Now, I will say I've tried these. I actually think they taste really good and they're relatively low calorie. The ones I'm talking about that I just recently tried are the Poppy brand. I saw them at Costco and, um, we bought them to give them a try to see if they'd be good. And I think they taste good and they're relatively low calorie. And so if you enjoy drinking them, great. I probably won't buy them again just because I don't like spending money on on drinks. It's just not my my personal preference. But if you enjoy drinking them, then that's great. If you like them and if they they fit into your lifestyle, right, they don't cause any unintended negative consequences, then great. But be careful not to give them the entire job of taking care of your gut health when it's a very small percentage of what's actually going to contribute to it. And I think with these poppy drinks, again, I can't speak to it exactly. I'll have to Google it after. But I want to say there was only like three grams of fiber in these drinks. So if you think about the recommendation of 25 grams per day, three is a small number that contributes to that. Now, again, does it contribute to 25 grams? Sure, absolutely. But the great majority of that 25 grams is going to need to come from the remainder of your diet, the remainder of your day. What contributes to your overall health and weight is going to be a combination of so many more things than a single drink that might have be a small source of fiber or prebiotics. 
we need to consider when we are looking at our health and our weight and our gut health for that for that matter. We need to be looking at total calories. We need to be looking at the breakdown of those calories. We need to be looking at how much protein we're consuming, where our carbs are coming from, how much fat we're consuming. We need to pay attention to how much we're moving, how we exercise and what type of exercise, if it's more cardiovascular exercise, if it's more uh, resistance training exercise, sleep quality and hygiene come into play, stress management, hydration. Like these are some big pieces to the puzzle that really have an influence on how you feel in your overall health. And yet we're more inclined to buy drinks that claim to be good for our gut. Now, again, I like these drinks. I think they taste good. And because they're lower calorie, sometimes if you need like something that's got a liquid that's got flavor, then they're a great option. But just be careful how much credit you give it or how much responsibility you give it for your overall health. The next thing to pass on on social media is pass on hard and fast rules. Pass on the things that are extremely black and white because very rarely is health going to be totally black and white. For example, I saw one recently that said something like purple sweet potatoes are the best food for health or purple sweet potatoes are the the healthiest food or something. I don't know, something to do with purple sweet potatoes. And again, a singular food is not going to be what makes you healthy. It's not going to be what helps you feel the best. Can it contribute to that? Absolutely. But is it the singular factor that determines whether or not you are healthy? No. Now, this is especially true, these ideas of rules when it comes to exercise and fitness. Because again, people are drawn to things like the one exercise for bigger glutes. Like that sounds enticing. That sounds interesting. And if you're someone that wants to build your glutes, then yeah, you're going to be like, wow, I want to know what that is. But you know what? There isn't going to be a single exercise that is going to give you bigger glutes because there are so many other things that need to be happening in order for muscular growth to happen. So if you see things that are a rule, a hard and fast black and white type of rule, like this food is the best, this exercise is the best, that have a little bit of questioning happening in your brain and pause before you just say, wow, okay, I guess I'm just going to only eat purple sweet potatoes and I'm going to demonize everything else. So pass if it's hard and fast like that, but say yes to things that are tools to have in your tool belt. Health is not about rules. It's about accumulating tools and skills that help you take care of yourself in the best way possible. So let's take the purple sweet potatoes, for example. We could say purple sweet potatoes are high in antioxidants and antioxidants can help protect our brain from damage over time. Like to me, that is a really cool tool to use. So in my mind, I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to try and just incorporate some purple sweet potatoes maybe at a couple dinners this week. Like that's a really valuable piece of information. Or <clears throat> let's say that you are wanting to build your glutes, for example. If you find an exercise that says this exercise, if used consistently with principles of progressive overload and appropriate calories to fuel and build the muscle can lead to glute growth. Now, again, is this as exciting? Is this as sexy? No, <laughs> it's not nearly as attention grabbing, but it's the truth. 
there's no single exercise that's going to help you build bigger glutes. There are exercises that can work your glutes. And when you take those muscle groups and you push them to their limit continually over the course of time, and you're feeding yourself enough calories to provide fuel for muscular growth and building, then yes, this exercise will probably be highly useful. But it's not like using some obscure machine that is normally used for lat pull downs, for example, it's not like that's the secret to glute growth. It's a very, very, very small piece to the puzzle. So if it is very myopic and micro focused, then pass on it. But if it is a tool that you can add to your tool belt, big thumbs up to that. Now, the last thing that I will recommend to take with a grain of salt is man, there is so much information online that includes verbiage like it's toxic for you. And what is difficult about that, again, you have a word like toxic and it's attention grabbing and out of fear for yourself, for those you love, you're like, oh, I need to find out what this is so that I can prevent poisoning myself and my loved ones, right? But... What happens when we hear this phrase is many, many, many times people are taking information drastically out of context. And then they're taking that out of context information and they're focusing on it, which is a minuscule part of our food, of our health, of our, of our life. And they are demonizing these minuscule, almost insignificant parts. And so then when we are looking at, oh, this is toxic for you, you know, some ingredient in bread, for example, then it leads people to focus on getting only the most like correct and righteous foods, but in very small amounts. And so when we are focusing on only getting like the best bread or the best fruits and vegetables, for example, then it actually causes us to neglect the things that have influence over our health. Like if we are focusing only on getting the most correct fruits and vegetables, then we're likely going to be under consuming fruits and vegetables and denying ourselves a lot of really important, vital and valuable micronutrients. And it's interesting because this phrase, like it's so toxic, there are all these chemicals, it's just being thrown around like wildfire. And I think again, people are drawn to that out of fear, out of interest, out of intrigue and curiosity and wanting to blame something outside of us for why our health was, is what it is. But when you actually look at who is saying something like making a blanket statement like this is toxic for you, these people that are making these claims often have no grounding other than some generalized anecdotal evidence. And they often aren't experts that are qualified to be teaching us what is and is not toxic for our bodies, especially as it comes to food and ingredients in food. You can take any type of data when it comes to studies and skew it to support your idea. And so people will take any information in the news and just say, oh, a study said, and they take that and run with it. And so then it leads us in these directions of micromanaging these parts of our diet and our exercise that 
aren't actually making a difference and then neglecting the things that do make a difference. So even if people are speaking with confidence, it doesn't necessarily make things true. So if it immediately right out the gate is saying something like this is toxic for you, be very wary because there is likely a lot of things that they are saying that if there is even a semblance of truth to them, it has been taken wildly out of context. Look for things that have more balance involved, that look to add things into your life that help you instead of removing things that we aren't even certain are going to make a difference. I know for me and for my clients and just by general nutrition principles, you can really manipulate how you feel when you are eating enough food, when you are getting enough protein, when you are getting enough fiber, when you're eating a wide variety of fruits and vegetables, when you are adequately hydrated, when you are sleeping well, these things make a noticeable difference in how a body functions. Now, what type of bread you eat and what type of ingredients it has in it, my guess is it's probably not going to have as much of a noticeable difference in how you feel. And sometimes if it does, it can in fact just be confirmation bias. And if it is, that's okay. If you like to eat in a certain way and it makes you feel good, then do so. But just be careful not to demonize certain things at the effect of getting enough of what you need. Health really truly is complex and dynamic and mundane. It is not as complicated and not as attributed to singular things as we might think it is. Health and lifestyle behaviors are are basic habits, basic principles that are mundane and boring. They're not as sexy as all of the toxic for you chemical nonsense that's been happening everywhere on social media. The last thing that I will add that is an interesting problem that we face as the beginning generation of social media is just because you see something doesn't mean it applies to you. We are getting a lot of messaging from many different directions. And as an example, like I follow some eating disorder recovery dietitians. Now, when they are talking about how to approach diet and food, it's going to be very different than the way that someone who is a weight loss coach for women going through menopause, for example. If that's someone's niche, what this coach is saying is going to be very different from what these dietitians are saying. But what I've seen happen is people take all of the information and think, oh, this all applies to me and I need to apply it. I need to use it or else I'm a bad person. Something's wrong with me. All of this is meant for me and applies to me. And that's just not true. And so that's where it's helpful to introspect and Really look at what your goals are, how you relate to food, what you need the very most, and what you don't need. So tap into yourself first and answer those types of questions before assuming that everything you read is meant for you, because it's not. Just because someone is saying there's an obesity epidemic and people need to be losing weight doesn't necessarily mean that you specifically should be losing weight. Know yourself well enough to distinguish between those messages that would be helpful as a tool to you and those that just don't apply. So my friends, 
That is all I have for you on social media, how to navigate it. So good luck to you. I will wish you the best in navigating everything that's out there and hope that you can find things that make you feel good, that make your life better, and that help you make choices that help fuel your body and help you feel your best. So that's everything. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you next week. Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon. Thank you.